Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Propcast. I'm Cord and I'm your host this week with an awesome episode uh, introducing our final Elder Candidate interview with my good friend Dan Hart. And so today's episode is a conversation with Dan. He's one of the Elder Candidates at Providence Community Church. And in this episode, we're hoping to get uh, help our members get to know Dan a little bit. Um, we had a discussion with Dan about uh, his journey as a person, his journey as a Christian, uh, and now being a candidate to pastor here at Providence. Uh, and so we also get a chance to discuss some of the challenges of parenting and um, the need for relational Christians to engage with others for the glory of God. And so a little bit about Dan. Dan currently serves alongside his wife, Leslie. They're home group leaders here at the church. Obviously, as I already mentioned, Dan's an elder candidate. Uh, he's a father of three kiddos. Also, some of you may know, some of you may not. He's a veteran who served in the United States Navy <clears throat> as an enlisted member from 1991 to 1993. And he has worked as the service manager at Kingwood Service Center for over 25 years now and knows almost everyone in our community. So if you are listening to this and you're not a part of Providence, you might not know Providence. You probably know Dan. So anyway, Dan, welcome to the Profcast. We're glad you're here. Really glad to be here. Excited. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about your journey to the faith, you know, how the Lord brought you. Uh, not only to himself, but also to the calling that you're at, that you're uh, pursuing right now. You know, I think a lot of our church knows you, but there's a handful of people that may have not, they may are new or they haven't got to hang out with you or meet you. So just let them know a little bit about your story. Well, it started when I was uh, a young kid. Uh, when we lived in Austin, we went to a Baptist church and uh, I came to know the Lord there. Um, then we moved to Kingwood in the early 80s and uh tried to find a couple churches but it just kind of never really manifested anything and so we didn't really attend church for a lot of years and then my actually my eighth grade year a couple of my buddies kept hounding me to come visit their church and then finally my freshman year in high school I I caved in and went and just absolutely loved it Uh, so I went to that church by myself for a good year or so and then finally my parents uh, decided to come check it out and see what was up, why their kid was going and they weren't. And uh, sorry, mom had to call you out. <laughs> um, and uh, and so that's where I kind of grew in my faith um, for, for several years. Were both of your parents Christians when you were a kid? Like you said, growing up in Austin, you know, you had, that was your first experience at church. Were both your parents Christians? Because I know a lot of our members know Sherry and, you know, get to hang out see her you know have at home group or whatever and see she's a awesome christian and i was just wondering like when you were growing up were they both christians or kind of like like my parents were i guess christians but they were like nominal like pseudo christians you know like i guess they were christians in name only maybe um yeah actually uh in the baptist church my dad was a deacon and he taught um um not many people really know anything about my dad because he, he passed away about 11 years ago from uh, lou Gehrig's disease and uh, but he, in the Baptist church, he, he was uh, very involved, um, and, you know, taught many classes and like I said, a deacon. Um, when we moved away, um, he kind of walked away from the faith, in my opinion, you know, based off what I remember uh, from those years. Um, I don't know that's because anything happened, uh, but just, you know, we tend to be complacent a lot of times in life, and I think that's what happened. And then when he... Uh, came to uh, the Chapel of the Forest, which is the church that we went to when I was in high school, um, he, you know, reacquainted with that passion and ended up being um, a board member in that church. That's awesome. Which would be, you know, the equivalent of uh, an elder in this church and uh, with some variances, you know, and uh, he was also the bookkeeper for a number of years. So, um, and then uh, as time went on, uh, he and my mom, became uh, a part of the early uh, Hebraic Christian movement and uh, left that church and with some other people from that church started a new church that was trying to pursue like first century Christian uh, uh, approach to to worshiping God and, and uh, he eventually became ordained as a rabbi um, and uh, also, probably not many people know, but I mean, my uh, on my dad's side of the family, um, his his dad was Jewish. Um, now he didn't marry a Jewish woman, so obviously in the Jewish community, we're not recognized as as Jews or Jewish. But he was uh, my dad was half Jew, and I'm like a quarter Jew, and and so uh, there was a lot of like draw there for him. Wow, and uh, so he he. Uh, 
really knew the ward very well, um, taught so many times up until up until he got sick. Um, had just numerous studies that he had done and, and was just very, very well read in the word and the scripture. Um, so up until, you know, the, the last probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 years of his life, maybe more, uh, he really came back into the fold of just knowing God and, and pursuing God uh, in terms of of, of uh, that. That's awesome. So obviously you're in high school and you, you know, get invited to church. That brings your parents into, the, you know, back into the at least activity. Like, you know, they were Christians, but now, you know, it's, it's like you said, there's a there's an element where the world is always chipping away at Christians in order to bring us into spiritual laziness, lax, and and so now you have this revival with your parents. They kind of come back to to the faith, and uh, and then next stage for you though, you graduate high school, and you know the military's on the horizon. So uh, I was telling you at lunch yesterday, I didn't recognize it until I was preparing for this broadcast that you know three of our elders are military guys. We, you have Mike who served um, in the Vietnam War, yet. Uh, Ty, who's right now selling us out by being at the Coast Guard, uh, <laughs> we gave Ty a hard time. He's supposed to meet with us yesterday, so this is on, this is on you, Ty. But anyway, he's he's a Coast Guard member, and then and then you were in the United States Navy. So tell the listeners a little bit about how that came about. You know, military life. You know, what was the what was the draw there? Well, I knew early on uh, I was not college material. Um, I like to learn. But I don't like homework. I don't like studying. I don't like projects. I don't like uh, anything to do with like that type of learning. But you know, I, I I don't mind being educated. I just I just want it on my terms. Right. <laughs> Sounds like my son Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love that boy. Um, so uh, a good friend of mine and I decided when we were seniors that we were going to go into the Navy together, and we were going to go into the Navy SEAL program. Um, there was a, a lot. And of this is like before Navy SEALs was like really popularized uh, no, and cool, right? This is like no one, no one knew what SEALs were when we, when people would ask us what we we're going to do, and we would tell them. They were like, "What is that?" Um, it was very unusual. But the irony of that is that uh, there is a lot of uh, Navy SEALs that are from Kingwood. I mean, there's probably from like 1985 to now, there's probably 20, 25 uh, wow. people that were have become SEALs, and countless others that have tried. That's um, incredible. Which 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 would include me. So in complete transparency, I was never a SEAL, but that's what I went in for. Yeah. Um, so we that's what we wanted to do. Now, I didn't go right out of high school. My uncle, who uh, was retired Navy, and I had a long conversation that summer, and he had talked me out of it for the time being. My buddy went on and ended up being on SEAL Team 3 for s- several years. Um, I went in like a year and a half maybe later. Um, with that intention, and, and there's just some things that kind of got along the way that kind of led me away. Um, and I've had the fortune to look back and, and actually really be grateful that it didn't work out. Um, I have a number of friends that are SEALs, and out of out of that n- great number of people, uh, only one is still married to the original woman they were married to. Wow. And, uh, and, and you know, there's a lot of uh, suffering that those guys have gone through as a result of what they're asked to do. Uh, so I was I was saved from that and and uh, you know there's some you know obviously the novelty of being a seal that everybody is like all you know geeked up about uh, but there's a there's another side of it too um, and so I'm I'm ultimately I'm grateful that I missed that yeah it's a harsh reality that comes with that I think I mean especially right now while we're recording this episode it's like the things that are going on in Afghanistan I think people the United States gets shocked into reality whenever we start seeing these images and we're like, Oh, it's, it's a, uh, well, I mean, our friend Brad just got home from Egypt, you know, and when you think about deployment, it's different for everybody. It's different for every soldier. But I think seeing these images on the TV screens makes you realize like the things that soldiers go through and the military people will go through servicemen and women and how that impacts you mentally, you know? And then obviously as a pastor, you think about it, how does this impacting them spiritually? Because I know that, Whenever I, Morgan and I traveled to Kyrgyzstan for our kids, um, and this may sound charismatic, but I just, it's just factual, is there's, there's a sense of spiritual heaviness when we were there. And I don't know how to explain that unless you've, you know, been in certain areas or you've been overseas or you've been in certain countries. There's just a spiritual heaviness that, um, 
I'm not, I wasn't familiar with, you know, I guess, I guess maybe some of it was uh, a sense of feeling the freedom to be able to talk about your faith, you know, or maybe it's just uh, something even more supernatural than that that you can't sense or really put your finger on. But I think about military people being in these areas for long periods of time, Christian or non-Christian, not even knowing why they might feel the way they feel then the things that they see. And, you know, it's, uh, honestly, it, it breaks my heart. It, it, it makes me, it makes me move to towards, um, well, military members, you know, and, and them hearing the gospel, you know, it makes me want to pray more for the ministry of chaplains and others. I mean, it's just so, it's so intense. I know you have a lot of military friends. I'm sure you experienced that. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I think you. What you felt was real. Um, maybe not every country that you go to, you would experience that. Um, but countries like Kyrgyzstan, uh, Afghanistan, China, you know, Russia, parts of Russia, maybe, um, where, you know, the God of Abraham is not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's easy to to pick up on that. Um, especially if, if you're, uh, actively pursuing a relationship with God, you would certainly pick up on that. Um, and then just the things that, that many soldiers are asked to do, um, not, not just special warfare guys, but, you know, just regular soldiers doing what the military is asking them to do, um, comes with its own heaviness and, and, and whatnot. And so, uh, I could definitely see, you know, where you would feel that or why it's soldiers, feel that um i recently got introduced to a guy named brian davison who was a, a navy seal and, and he's a very passionate active christian um has been for a long time and in the conversation i had with him on how he uh dealt with being a navy seal and then later on becoming a police officer in, in the city of austin um you know it's it, i don't i think it's grossly overlooked what those guys have to go through and be an actual believer, Christ follower, someone who pursues God daily. Yeah, you know, obviously I don't want to get off on a tangent. I want to get back to your story, but I, something that I think about when I think about the military is, and it's always intrigued me, the The Bible has is full of these analogies that are like military-like analogies. Um, like, for instance, this Sunday we're going to talk about the armor of God. You know, that's clearly a military analogy that Paul uses. Another one is, in Second Timothy chapter two, Paul says, uh, "No soldier uh, gets entangled in civilian pursuits, for his aim is to please the one who enlisted him." And so he's talking about how being a Christian is about ultimately pleasing the Lord who has enlisted you in His army as He's moving forward and advancing against the enemy's kingdom throughout the world. And another. Another text that I always come to in my mind is Jesus when the centurion who understands authority tells Jesus that his daughter is sick and then says, but I am a man who's under authority too. I know that if you just speak, my daughter can be healed. You don't even have to come with me. And Jesus is, you know, taken aback and says, like, I haven't seen great faith like this. Like, you have great faith. Um, and the military intrigues me because I think Christians can get lulled into sleep. Like I just said earlier, you know, we look at the images on the screen of Afghanistan and we're like, oh man, it, it shocks us a little bit to see it because we're not familiar with that kind of suffering and pain. And then it shocks us into reality. I think Christians can get a little bit lax in our own battle, spiritually uh, and comfortable. And military analogies, I think are helpful to kind of like wake us back up. Like we don't, like the things that we squabble about with uh, theology, um, when you think of it in terms of military analogy, it's like there's there's authority rankings, and God's an authority. God's given us His word; He's exercised authority, and the military just kind of understands that natural like hierarchy and doesn't like like you can't push back against that in the military or you're gone. You know, because there's a mission. It's like here's the hierarchy, here's the authority. You either accept it or you don't, <laughs> and that's just it. You know, it's and I think that obviously there can be. There's more analogies in the Bible than just military ones, right? We got farmers, we got families, all that kind of stuff. But I think it can be a really helpful one for the Christian church in the United States because some of our problem is this comfortability forgetting that we're in the battle, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was wondering, when you look back at your military time and now that you're a Christian and you're you're a father and you're a parent, you know, and you, you know the, the more that you grow and the more that you're 
I guess your the journey of life starts to take you into different positions of authority. You start looking back and see things more clearly. Do you see that when you look back at your military career, just like, oh, I can see how this uh, this very clear hierarchical authoritative, you know, system actually wasn't just oppressive, but probably really helpful and and like I could glean a lot from it, you know. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, even even before I really came back to uh, pursue the Lord and, and effectively change my life uh, or the Holy Spirit changed my life, um, I could certainly look back at the order of the way things are done in the military and and understand why and see why they are the way they are. Um, it, you know, it can come off, you know, authoritative and you know, almost like a dictatorship, but you know, there's, there's reasons why those things are put in, put in place and, uh, and then move forward in, into my current life and, and what I, what I do as a believer and what I do as, uh, an employee and as a father, it's like, it's, it's really easy to kind of look back at that and say that pattern is effective. Um, and it's, and it just didn't materialize out of thin air. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't come out of nowhere. I think no. we uh, we have the benefits of reap or we, we reap the benefits of some things that have been you know put in place before us that you just kind of you know you accept as re- as factual realities that no, it's like oh this had to be built, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, so you were in the military during the Clinton administration or like back half of the Bush administration, front half of the Clinton administration. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So uh, Bush was um, you know obviously. Uh, paraphrasing here a little bit but uh it, yeah at the end of bush beginning of clinton um and honestly if i think back i think clinton was being inaugurated while i was in boot camp now that i think about it um uh, and a little factoid here that my first day of boot camp was actually the day we declared war in the persian gulf wow january 15th 1991 um, so i was in boot camp that day and so the entire the entirety of the actual war i was in boot camp and they the war was pretty much, you know, done before I even got out of boot camp. And this desert storm, yeah, the first desert storm. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it was an exciting time to be in boot camp because the company commanders, w- which you know is is what other branches call drill instructors, uh, they were fired up. The teachers were fired up, and they fired us up. So it was actually a pretty cool thing to go experience. So intense, I bet. Yeah. Not not that not that uh, you know, almost all of us that were in that company would ever see combat a day in our lives but it was still pretty cool or that you even need to be fired up most likely guys going into that <laughs> yeah. situation probably need to be calmed down a little bit <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay so some you know a lot of people may not know this but the way in which uh you and i actually met and and you guys came to providence i first met your wife so for the people that don't know the story i was uh i have terrible eyesight um and i also because i was in a car accident when I was younger, um, I have never worn a contact in my right eye. So I had to have reconstructive surgery on my right eye after that car accident and lots of things. And when I got into contact sports as, uh, I think in high school or junior high, I can't remember, but my right eyelid doesn't have all of my eyelashes. And so your eyelashes help to keep contacts in. And I would always, you know, in contact sports football or whatever, the contact would come out, just pop out of my eye. So I think I was 15 or something. I'm an opto- um, ophthalmologist, is that right? Optometrist? Anyway, the person who is the doctor Where's of Leslie eyes. when you need her? Yeah, gosh, Leslie. <laughs> they See, this is why we should have had her <laughs> uh, for more than one reason. No, but so anyway, I didn't I didn't end up having contacts and in my right eye ever since then. So I only have one. And um, anyways, I the whole point of this is... It, along with that comes difficulty with like dryness in your eyes all kinds of stuff and I, I told Morgan um I think I'm gonna go see get a quote for LASIK surgery and so by the way I haven't gotten LASIK still since since this so this clearly was not the purpose of my trip but I walk into the I think it was the Berkeley Eye Center is that right yeah yeah and um talking to this gal who's helping me and kind of asking questions and doing all of the tests and everything and she's really kind and anytime i'm in situations like this as a as a pastor i know that eventually someone's going to ask me what i do so like i try to creatively dodge that question because once i tell people i'm a pastor it usually shuts the conversation down entirely and i'm like oh this is actually an enjoyable conversation so i don't want to do that 
Uh, but inevitably got to that point. So I told her I was a pastor and lo and behold, like she didn't shut me down and cut me off and kind of be done with me after that. Uh, and so I remember leaving that conversation and just, you know, filing that away as like, Oh, that was really awesome. And I'm thinking about LASIK. And then I think it was the very next Sunday I'm standing outside in the hall, uh, of the church and I see Leslie coming up, you know, which Leslie's, you know, small and, uh, and then I see Dan behind her and he just, you know, very rarely do I have guys that I can look eye to eye with because I'm six foot four and here's Dan who <laughs> is as tall as me and could punch a hole through my chest. And, uh, that's how I ended up meeting you, uh, for the very first time. So, um, the best things come through Leslie in this marriage is the point. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> and so I guess my question would be, how'd you guys meet? How'd you convince her to marry you? I mean, I always tell people that with Morgan. I don't know how I convinced Morgan to marry me because she's the better half, no doubt. But uh, how? Did, what's y'all's story? Well, we actually met through the shop. Uh, her family had been coming to the shop. Um, I had met her sister uh, initially and then met the family. Um, and so complete transparency. Um, I don't want to be judged, but some of you may judge me. But uh, I actually dated sissy, uh, Leslie's sister before I dated her. Here we go. Um, but it didn't last. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it just wasn't meant to be, but I stayed close to the family because her parents are just some of the best people on the planet. Um, and so, uh, obviously through that time I, I had met Leslie, got to know Leslie and she was in a, a long-term relationship at that point with our two older kids, father, um, his name's Bernard. And, uh, you know, probably, you know, a couple years-ish uh, after I'd met the family, her and I got to just talking. I had just broken up with a girl, and it was kind of heartbreaking. And she brought me over this uh, cookie cake for my birthday uh, that year. And, and, you know, so we talked. And we just kept talking over the course of time. And we, and we both, you know, could re- were realizing that there was something there. But, you know, we, we finally got to a point where it was like, look, we, you know, we need to sit down and, and discuss what's happening here. And, uh, so I just basically said, listen, you know, I don't, I don't like to be that guy. Um, so, you know, you have a decision to make and, and I'm okay with either one, but you know, I just, you know, we need to do something before I, I, uh, you know, I get crushed under the weight of this and you as well. And so, uh, this one particular weekend she went away to, uh, what I was hoping for was to end that relationship, which was, you know, a very, painful relationship uh uh up to that point and um you know but knowing that there there was a chance that she may come back and say you know what we're gonna work things out so it was a really 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 long weekend for me (laughs) (laughs) but nonetheless she came back and she had ended it and um um you know which you know kind of cleared the path for us to uh pursue a relationship and uh, and it was crazy there for a while because he didn't take it well and there were some things going on uh, in that relationship that uh, were, were pretty hard. And uh, at the time, uh, you know, Leslie had a little boy uh, named Derek. Um, he was uh, about four at the time. And no one really knew at the time that she was actually pregnant with Sydney. And uh, so as we're pursuing this relationship, you know, she realizes that she's pregnant. And, uh you know, so we had a conversation and she, she tried to push me away and she tried to get me to, uh, just walk away from the relationship cause she didn't want me to feel like I was trapped and she didn't want anybody else to think that she trapped me. Um, the reality is that uh, when all this was going on, she was very young and not nearly as smart as she is now. So I took advantage of her, her, uh, mental weakness at the time so <laughs> this, that's, that's, this is not accurate i have a feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i certainly married up and uh there's no question about that but uh but but no in all seriousness uh i just said no i was like you know i love you and you love me and i don't you know i don't it doesn't matter um that you're pregnant and uh you know you know your kids are going to be my kids and so um you know with derek I, I've, I've known derek since he was two and when we got married he was uh, not quite five yet, and, uh, and then obviously Gat, uh, Sydney wasn't uh, even born yet, but born not too long after that in May. So you know, effectively, I've been a father figure to both Derek and Sydney uh, the bulk of their lives, and uh, and then you know in 2005, Gabby came along. Um, uh, before that, uh, before Gabby, about a year and a half before Gabby, we, uh, Leslie and I uh, had suffered a miscarriage. Um, 
and I, I say that uh, because um, it there's a a lot that came along with that burden of, of going through that with Leslie and then when Gabby came along it was just such a miracle that that uh, you know we just didn't know if anything like that was ever going to happen you know so yeah and if it wouldn't have it would have been okay because I love Derek and Sydney I have I have always referred to them as my kids um, I've never you know referenced them as stepchildren um, and in, really in any capacity um, so if, if the Lord would have not given us a child you know I, I was fulfilled with those two kids but but he did. He gave us Gabby, and uh, you know it's been a, a, an amazing ride with that kid. She's uh, unfortunately a little too much like her daddy um, in the wrong. <laughs> she ways. is the best though. <laughs> she is she is awesome. Um, you know she's just she's got her mother's kindness and her daddy's sense of adventure. So it's really a scary mixture. Sense of adventure is such a euphemism. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's how Dan churches up <laughs> all of what he gave to his daughter. <laughs> no man, that's. Uh, I love the story, and so you have yeah, uh, Derek's out of the house um, at this point, and you guys work together. Yeah, he works right alongside me. has has now for I think about three years now. And your middle baby Sydney off to college last year, right? This like COVID year, she went. Well, she Is that had, right? She well, she's just starting her junior year. So oh, she, that's right. So she went a year before COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then last year was like caught in that. I can't believe it's already been that long since she went. Anyway, so she's she's going to her junior year, <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's at Georgetown, right? In yeah, Georgetown, she, Texas. She goes to, yeah, Southwestern. And then you got your youngest. You got Gabby, and she's is she in her junior year of high school this year? Yeah, she's a junior. Ooh, yep. Second year varsity cheerleader. She's killing it. That's awesome. That's crazy that she's a junior too. I know. Shout out to you, Gabby. All right. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you because obviously. You know, you have a, and I think this is true of a number of members of our church, even where uh, whether it's their immediate family or extended family, there's a there's a blended family dynamic, um, and you've now walked through that coupled with you've got a, an adult adult children, so you have like an adult child moving into adulthood child, and you got a high school, you know, you kind of walk through all those phases, and so if you're looking back at a snapshot of like how has your relationship with God shaped your parenting and then vice versa how has your parenting helped you to understand and formed your relationship with god as father um as you look back at your parenting because i know there's a lot of growing that comes along with that as your spiritual life grows too but like when you kind of look back and assess it what are some of like the i guess aha moments for you well there's a lot to unpack there but um you know early on in my fatherhood I didn't. I didn't really have a relationship with God. I, I had walked away from the church, you know, really about the, not long after I was in the Navy, and um, had some bad experiences in my church, and just kind of was done, you know, mm-hmm. turned my back on it, and uh, had moments here or there. Uh, so when Leslie and I got married and we started a family, um, it was just kind of really by the seat of my pants, you know, try to reference some things that I had picked up from my parents um and then uh, my father-in-law julian zamudio uh probably the best example of a man i've ever known he taught me a lot along the way too about being a a father and uh and just you know bumps and bruises but fast forward to when we started coming to providence you know the lord just really just started whittling away at the man that i was and so I look, I look back on those times and think, you know, God opened my eyes about what it means to be a father, um, of what, you know, the things that I would hold on to, uh, the things I'd get mad about or frustrated with. Um, and, and this was over the course of time. This was not an overnight experience by any stretch, but, uh, you know, moving forward through that, uh, it's, it, it's been very helpful to, understand what my role as a father is and uh the example that that he's called me to be um you know the the changes that the holy spirit has made in my life have made it easier to to deal with the mistakes that i make um you know extending you know i believe extending grace to others is a lot easier than extending grace to myself Uh, that's my my personal experience i don't know what it's like for others but for me and so 
forge that relationship being forged in me through God has enabled me to be able to extend grace to myself where I've fallen short. Um, you know, looking back on mistakes that I've made in the past, uh, has made that easier to say, you know what, you know, that's, that's in the past, you know, but you can affect change now by the way you live your life now. Um, and it's helped my relationship with my older two kids, um, who, uh, didn't necessarily get to experience a, a better version of me, uh, than, uh, than my youngest Gabby. Well, it's difficult too, right? Because there's two sides to that. One is I think what every parent, like every parent that has more than one child recognizes, which is that your oldest gets a version of you that is less refined. Right. You know, like I think about myself now with my two kids, but I even think about it when I was a kid, I'm, I'm the youngest in my sibling group. My brother's the oldest. And I think about my brother's relationship with my dad and my relationship with my dad and my brother and my dad were very close, but also they were very like contentious, like contentious with one another. Um, and there's various reasons for that. But one of them is that my brother got a younger version of my dad Mm -hmm. and I got, you know, you almost think of it like the story of Joseph where, uh, you know, Jacob has all the, the children and then Joseph is like the child of his old age. Um, and so he's kind of the favorite in the family and it gets, it gets contentious. And I think a lot of that's like a very easy family dynamic. It's like the kids that are younger typically get a better version of you. And then you add the element of like faith mm-hmm. and which is, you know, it's, I mean, earth shattering that changes everything. It yeah. changes everything about the way you engage. But you said something that really stood out to me, which is, I think I wanted to spend some time on it because I imagine every parent listening to this, every member that's a parent can jive with this. And that was, you said it as I get extended grace to others more difficult for me to extend it to myself. And I heard that as learning to embrace the gospel for yourself, receiving the grace that Christ has given. It's like, you're a really good dispenser of it, (laughs) but learning as a parent that if you don't embrace the gospel being true and the grace that's extended to you, you will fall into some real despair or, um, just criticism, like self criticism. That's debilitating. Um, maybe talk a little bit more about that. Like where, like where have you seen that, that turn made since you've come to know Christ where you're able to actually like embrace grace for you, uh, not just dispense it. Well, I think there's a release, uh, that comes with that. Um, you know, forgiveness and grace, you know, in my opinion, really starts with you. Like you, you have to learn to, um, to do that for yourself uh, because the gospel is for everyone. It's, it's not, it's not for everybody, but you. And, uh, if you don't have the ability to, to extend yourself grace and extend yourself forgiveness, then you basically walk around in bondage. Um, you know, and it just prevents you from living the life God has for you. And, uh, so being able to let go of that and, 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 I guess let me kind of backtrack just a little bit. I mean, I, I was not this horrible father by any stretch, but when you get older, you have the the ability to kind of look back and go, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. hundred so, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's when I say those things earlier, that's really what I mean is like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, man, I, you know, I wish I could have had, you know, I wish I would have been in this walk then so that, that my, all three of my kids could have experienced uh, what they experience now. But what I see this as like, it's very common. This is true uh, leadership wise too. It's not just parenting. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with leaders, how often I've experienced it myself where you're extremely gifted at coming alongside others, reminding them the gospel, turning like when their heads like just down into the dirt, you turn their eyes up and you say, look, there's Jesus dying and rising for you. And I've seen people that are so gifted at that and then turn right around and very rarely ever actually apply that to themselves. Very rarely ever believe like, mm-hmm. oh, well, Jesus also died for me and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I need to go drink from that well. It's like I have this picture of them just like, you know, drawing up water from the well and pouring it out for everybody else and then coming back and never drinking. Yeah. You know, you get the guy just crawling with a cup of water for other people and dying of thirst. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that spiritual condition is, but I think it's so common and I think it's a tactic of the enemy. I do believe that. I believe the spiritual warfare of that is it's a combination of pride and maybe with a hint of self, self-loathing that yeah. is like guised in humility. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. But I really think that's pride and it's like 
there's a veneer that the enemy puts over it to make it seem like it's humility, but it's really false humility. It's that somehow we could exist without the grace that we're trying to convince everyone else that they're going to die without. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's for everybody but me. And it's, and it's sad because I don't think we know we're doing that. I think, I don't, I think there's like a sacrificial gene in us that we think we're activating. Mm-hmm. And actually it just leads us to, to dryness, mm-hmm. spiritual dryness. And then our, I, I loved how you said, you know, you're, you being able to receive the gospel and, and really take that which Christ is offering you in forgiveness actually made your relationship better. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you would think it'd be the opposite where it's like, well, you know, my kids were able to forgive me. Not that that doesn't matter, but it's like, no, me being able to embrace the grace that Christ offers is what made me better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just recently had a conversation this morning with a friend that uh, is struggling with the same thing that I struggle with. And, and I just, you know, I, I couldn't express to them more of the burden that you are relieved from, the freedom you can walk in when you actively forgive yourself and, and then effectively you end up forgiving others because uh, it's just the way that works. Um, and just tell them like the, the single, other than the obvious, you know, meeting Jesus and giving your life to Jesus, you know, that aside, the next most powerful thing that ever happened to me was when I finally decided to forgive uh, specific people in my life, but but myself, and then just walk away from that. Which I think as a Christian we know is the idea of forgiving ourselves is really learning to embrace that we're forgiven by God. Yep. Because th- there's, that interac- there's that interplay that's happening there that you have this... Like, like David has the self-talk where he's like talking to himself, like, why are you downcast, oh, my soul, hope in God? And I think that's why we use the language of forgiving ourselves because we know we have this interplay mm-hmm. dialogue that's happening in our head. Mm-hmm. But really, I think the Christian knows it's really a, a gospel issue. It's like when we finally accept that God's forgiven us and not just he's forgiven us of our past, but the, like the current mess that we are, he's, mm-hmm. he's extending grace. And I think that's the act of self-forgiveness. It's actually just seeing Christ with the eyes of our hearts, obviously seeing Christ and saying, yes, I need that. I need what he's offering. There's, there's nothing outside. You know, this is kind of like the Peter moment where Peter says, "Will you leave me too. In John six, all the disciples and all of the big crowds leave after he's already fed them, you know, cause he had the hard sermon about eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he turns to Peter and says, well, you guys going to go too?" And Peter has that moment of no one else has words of eternal life. There's no one else where we're with you because there's no one like you. And that I think is that experience of really embracing grace for yourself is when you realize I can't, I can't forgive enough people. I can't minister enough. I can't parent well enough to ever be filled. You know that I can't hand out water from living water long enough to ever really like earn my keep. And I think it's then when you realize like it's only in Jesus that I'm really fulfilled. I don't know why I'm playing this game. Well, and and really, you know, if you don't believe the gospel for yourself, I mean, then the gospel you're going to try to impart on other people is, you know, really kind of, I, I don't want to say it's tainted by self. Yeah. Cause you, you know, it's like it, the gospel is good enough for everybody but me. Mm-hmm. Then, then if that's true, then the gospel is, is worthless. Yeah. You've now, you've now taken the, it's like, you know, gospel with exceptions. Yep. Like there's an asterisk. Yep. And I understand that because I, I see the, I see that pull in myself. That's why I mentioned this and even spend so much time on it. It's because I, I know that that's a pull in every human being is to preclude themselves, not just from the obedience part, but from the mercy part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's a dangerous road. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to talk about one more thing before, uh, before we get done. I think one of the things that our church for those, those that know you and know Leslie too, for that matter, but um, admire about you is your ability to discern when people need care in the church. Um, if, if, if you're listening and you've never experienced this, you know, Dan has a way of whether he's in a men's meeting or whether he's in a Sunday morning gathering or in home group, he has a way of picking up on and, and just looking people up, you know? And I think everybody that I've talked to or members of our church have recognized that in you. Um, and, and being able to not just see that and recognize it, um, but to lean in and being willing to lean in because I think like our societies become less and less relational. It's, Technology is the way that we engage, you know, way more Facebook or direct messaging on some social media app versus uh, 
face-to-face interaction, leaning into uncomfortable situations, asking people the questions they don't want to be asked, you know, or they're clearly trying to avoid. Um, So is that something that has always been true of your personality, like even before Christ, or is it like more of a spiritual gift? And then how have you, if, if it is something that's just always been there, how have you seen like the Lord take that and say, like, I created you like this for the church, for the body, for ministry? How have you seen that kind of come into full form? Well, I would say, um, it, in looking back, it has always been there, but I think it's always been there because it is a spiritual gift. Um, I've come to recognize that really just recently in the last year or two, um, just through conversations with uh, you, Ty, Brendan, uh, a few other people, um, Leslie, um, just kind of pointing certain things out. Um, you know, I, I never really thought I had a gift of discernment um, until until recently, and but I but I wholeheartedly believe it's it's of God. Um, but I mean, early on, you know, junior high, high school, you know, after high school, even when I wasn't really in any kind of a relationship with God at all, um, that was still present. You know, I've always been able to really kind of tell that something's bothering somebody and, and make no mistake. You know, it's not a hundred percent, you know, there's, and you, you can ask Leslie, there's times that I, I've asked her, Hey, what's up? And she's like, nothing, you know, just didn't sleep well. <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone and go get me some <laughs> coffee. You fool. <laughs> you know, so it's not, you know, my batting percentage isn't a thousand, but it's, but, uh, but I do know that more often than not, I am, I am right when I see something in somebody. And so, uh, there's kind of a running joke with me and Ty, uh, that, uh, when I walk up to somebody and ask them how they're doing, it's not this cordial greeting. Like I'm, I'm like, what's up, you know? Yeah. And I'm not giving you an option to say I'm good. You better give me, you know, some answers here because <laughs> I know something's wrong, you know? And, and so, uh, the Holy spirit has really, uh, honed that in, uh, in me. And, uh, has uh developed that in me and and uh and it's and it's a cool gift I, i'm i'm grateful for it um it, it doesn't come without uh its own burden because i i uh i think brendan told me once like i'm an empath you know like i feel a lot of of uh stuff that that uh if i'm not careful can can be harmful um and uh i just i don't know i just i've, I've always had the ability to pick up on when someone's hurting well, you know, it's interesting, though, because I feel like that last part, you being um, having sympathy, having empathy, feeling feeling the pain that people are experiencing actually is what makes it unique because I've been around guys that are discerning um, that aren't empathetic. <laughs> and uh, listen, they're gifts to the church, too, so there ain't no doubt about that. Um, but they... <laughs> some of them are my friends. I hope they listen to this, but they, uh, you know who you are, but they, they only have like the hammer. And so that can be tough. you like, you need, sometimes you need the hammer. Bottom line, hard hearts need hammers. Like that's, that's why, mm-hmm. you know, Nathan, the prophet, when he comes in and, you know, handles David, you know, you need those guys. But I feel like what's unique with your gifting and, and what the Lord's used you at, at Providence and, and in other parts of your life too, is that you pick up on things and then you engage in a way that's, that's very uh, full of care, love, willing to tell the truth, like not smarmy. And, and I think that's, that's unique. Like, uh, this is a, a man that's, uh, I respect and that'll tell me like it is, but he also clearly cares, you know, clearly he's moved by what's going on with me too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that's, that's uniquely Christ-like. Like I, that's, that's, that's something in you that I see that, Jesus is like that, you know, like Jesus is simultaneously the one who holds his hand out to the woman caught in adultery and, uh, and lifts her up, you know, daughter go and sin no more. And then on the flip side, he's, uh, he tells the Pharisees, you're a brood of vipers, <laughs> you know, he's tough and he's tender and, but he engages yeah. like you never see Jesus kind of like pulling away from a confrontation because he's just, eh, I don't really want to do that. You know, it's like Zacchaeus, we're going to your house. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who the heck is Zacchaeus? He's in the tree. You know, only Jesus knows. You're, I know you're there. You know you're there. Nobody else even knew you were here, but we're going to your house, you know. <laughs> and so I think that's a real gift, man. And um, and, and I've seen it. You help Providence, but I think it's something that we can all glean from. And, you know, there's, there's giftings, like spiritual gifts that somebody might have the spiritual gift of evangelism, for instance, but we're all called to evangelize. Right. 
So it's like some people are going to, you know, come back out of the fields with their baskets full overflowing. And I may come back with like one fruit. <laughs> and we're both called to do the same thing. It's like this guy just uniquely gifted. And that's kind of how I see this is you're uniquely gifted in it. But it's something that I think our, the, the church at large, not just Providence, but the church at large could grow in, which is trying to get our faces out of our screens, get our, get our eyes looking at the bride of Christ mm-hmm. and, and, and even just like the barista at Starbucks or whatever it may be and seeing them as image bearers of God and thinking, God, what would you have me do? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you have me say? Yep. How would you have me engage? Um, I've been really encouraged of the, uh, with your gift and the way that you handle that. And I've also been challenged like, okay, I'm asking myself, like, am I engaging in that way? You know, am I, am I being thoughtful enough? Because I may not be able to have the kind of success or fruit that you have, but I still have to have the calling. And I think, like, that's something for Christians to be mindful of. Like, how are we called to engage with that? Whether it's our child or whether it's just any every every old person that we see on the street, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, that's the really kind of beautiful thing about it is, uh, it's not something that's just for fellow Christians when I see them. I mean, like the the gentleman friend that I was talking to this morning, um, for all intents and purposes, I don't I don't know that he is a believer, you know. But you know, I, I pursued a conversation with him because I knew he was hurting. Um, and there's been others along the way too where I I know they're not Christians, but like I know something's up, and and so I. I stop what I'm doing. You know, there's a couple young men at my job that are, you know, in their early mid twenties. Um, you know, anybody that's been to my shop knows that it's just a beehive, you know, it's just, you know, organized chaos and sometimes unorganized chaos. And when I, when I see some of these young guys, I, I can tell that something's up. And so I'll pull them off to the side and, and I'll, I'll derail part of my day. Yeah. Um, because, uh, it, at the end of the day, it's not, uh, everything is relational um everything and uh sometimes you have to just stop and show some compassion and some empathy towards somebody who's struggling and just give them a moment you know and and it doesn't always end up in a conversation because some of these young guys don't feel comfortable just kind of you know pouring out whatever's bothering them but just for a minute uh, they're they're made aware that someone cares that's not tied to them uh, other than work Um, and so I say that not because I'm you know trying to put myself on a pedestal but I say that as you know that's just something that as Christians we we really need to kind of take a moment and recognize um, you know uh, and pay attention to the people that were around you know you you said the barista at Starbucks um, the cashier at at H-E-B or Kroger you know um, the people in the line in front of you or behind you, you know, and, and and it's not like I'm like this champion of that, but, you know, I think, I think over the course of the last year or two that, that there's just been more awareness and, and, uh, uh, that's been brought to mind in Leslie's eyes and, and just taking a, a minute to recognize that, uh, somebody may need to be encouraged and, and it doesn't have to be this blown out conversation. It could just be uh, just a kind word at that moment, you know, that yeah. that person really needs. And well, you even mentioned, you know, like derail your day. And I just kind of picture like these parallel realities, the heavenly reality, the spiritual reality, and, and then what's happening on the ground, physical reality. And, and what we feel like derails us sometimes from our life, what we see in the physical, the material and really hindered our day. Mm-hmm. I think in the spiritual it's, it is the, it, it is the Jesus going the long way around to, to Jericho or, you know, like if you look at the map of Jesus travelings, you'll, you, he doesn't take straight lines like we would, you know, I, I'm a big shortcut guy. Like I'm like, if I can take a shortcut driving, I'll do it neighborhood or whatever, you know, like I'm the guy that, you know, wants to bring the groceries in one whop, you know, I don't want to take two trips. It's a one trip grocery man. I mean, that is the only way to do it. It is true. I don't think there's another way, but that's another prof guest. Um, <laughs> But spiritually, it's like that's not how Jesus operates. You know, it's like sometimes he'll take the long way for a purpose, and that purpose is divine. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we look at that and say, yeah, well, that's Jesus, and, you know, he's got a connection with the Father that we don't, and I think that's folly. I think that actually, no, that's the call of the Christian is to submit to the Spirit's lead 
and to be intentional, prayerfully intentional about our lives. If you're feeling like you're getting derailed, maybe God's up to something. Yeah. And this is where I think that there can be a meeting of the minds between maybe someone who's more charismatic and the reformed brother uh, or sister, because if you believe in God's sovereignty heavily, then you would believe that this is sovereignly happening for a reason. Yep. And I think you can come together on that. No matter where you stand on the spirits leading, you could say, Hey, this is happening for a reason. Why don't we step back and say, okay, well, why God? <laughs> like, wh- why is it happening? You know, why am I stuck in this, you know, line forever or not getting the speed and efficiency that I want in my life? Like, Oh, well maybe the Lord has me, you know, to turn my eyes off my screen. Like I said, and look up at the faces, mm-hmm. you know, what am, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. I think the key to that is, uh, you know, Several years ago, uh, when I was in Art Nogue's home group, uh, a friend brought up uh, the f- the phrase "image bearer" in a speci- specific conversation. Um, and then it's been an ongoing thing over the last couple of years that I've been hearing more and more in in our sermons here at Providence and conversations. And so I say all that to say that that uh, along with understanding forgiveness, grace, faith, and hope. Uh, Christians really need to understand what image bearer really means. And I think everything you just said, um, that common denominator is, you know, image bearer. And if you look at people as image bearer, um, then I think that changes the approach of how things, like why things are happening the way they're happening. And just taking a minute, instead of looking at somebody as an inconvenience and look at him as a as an image bearer and I say that to myself as much as anybody because you know I am that guy that's in the car behind you that's losing his mind because you're not moving you know and and uh you know who knows what's going on you know there maybe instead of being frustrated that person's not going maybe think you know let me say a quick prayer for that person because maybe they're just struggling maybe they're melting down in front of me you know and I know that's you know a bit corny but 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 maybe it is, and maybe maybe the reason certain things are happening in your day that seem like it's being derailed is uh, is in fact something else, you know. Yeah, I mean we've all whipped around that car that we're mad about, looked over, and it's you know a ninety year old woman, and you're just like, oh man, I'm a loser. <laughs> so I think that it's not it's not necessarily corny because <laughs> I've been that guy. It's like who is this person? And then I went, oh, okay, so I I might be the worst person that's ever existed <laughs> for being mad at this woman. <laughs> Dude, I, I had a blast. I'm glad we got to talk. We could talk for hours, which uh, Leslie would just say that's par for the course for us because every time we have lunch <laughs> together, she's like, why are you guys still talking? But, <laughs> um, but man, thanks thanks for being a part of the podcast, man. I hope that I think our members will enjoy just hearing your, a lot more of your story. But thanks for taking some time and, and for being vulnerable. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we would love to – uh, invite you to check out the rest of our podcast on iTunes. You can also go to providencetx.org and you can hear a little bit more about uh, who we are as a church. We'd love it if you would come and join us on a Sunday. We have gatherings at 9 a.m. and 1045. Uh, if you are a member that's listening to this, uh, just as a reminder, we're going to have our uh, elder installations within the next couple weeks, which means there'll be an elder vote going out for uh, not just Dan, but for our other two elder candidates uh, that were introduced. And so Uh, Be on the lookout for that. Um, If you don't know Dan and you haven't actually had a chance to meet him, look him up on a Sunday. He's a very approachable guy, uh, and it's hard to miss him, kind of like me, just two big guys running around. And so, uh, I'm very handsome. The handsome one. (laughs) And then look next to him. That would be Dan. Okay. Uh, Providence, uh, so glad that you listened. um, And uh, hopefully, we will see you next time. So, until next time, uh, love God and love people. And we'll see you hopefully on Sunday.